Yo, you know what's crazy to me is companies and recruiters that make veterans and people that served in the military feel like they don't have the skills to work in a job after they finish serving their country. Like you're going to tell me somebody that has led teams of hundreds of people, been through real boot camp and hit targets that they can't see, doesn't know how to plan something out on a spreadsheet forecast, exceed the target and manage a team and exceed at their career. Really? That that's really what you what you think? People that are creating coding boot camps, making it difficult for people that went through real boot camp to get in. You really think that they don't know how to make it through your program? I understand there's a language barrier, which is why we created the Breaking the Stars podcast so that people in tech and out of tech can understand how it works so that they can level up and break in. But it's a little ridiculous when you think about it and you think about the millions of people that deal with these these issues, which is why we're interviewing a very, very special person uh, named Joe Musselman, uh, who's leading the Honor Foundation that helps people within the special forces learn how to navigate careers. Uh, we're going to we're going to talk about the stats that um, that I was referring to earlier when it comes to people that are trying to become civilians and, and work a job again. Uh, we're going to cover what you can do as a company or a recruiter to understand how to translate a resume from these individuals to understand whether they do have the skills to work because I understand it's not always your fault because you, you don't understand how to interpret that stuff on both there's education on both sides which is why we want everybody tuning into this podcast and if you feel like this podcast is relevant for you or your friends please share it with other people that that can help because it's a big problem and if you haven't joined our group on Facebook join it it's breaking startups like our Facebook page tell your friends leave a review Give me feedback, positive and negative. I know I came out the gate strong. I don't mind. I could take I could take feedback. I think feedback is a gift. Tell me how I can do better. So point me to people, companies, recruiters that understand. Point me to other organizations like Honor Foundations that are doing it big. Send me an email. Long email. The, the longer the better. And I promise I'll, I'll write back to you. And if, if I don't write back to you, Patrick or, or Arthur or Timo will write right back to you because we're a team. We're a family. We're all in this together. Without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Arthur and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yes. Yeah, so it's a Tuesday morning. We're out here recording again. As you guys know, the first 30 episodes that we recorded, we did it in person. But we realized that there's so many great men and women who are helping others break into tech. So our guest today is coming from San Diego, and I can't wait to share a story. Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yes, sir. So we're here with Joe Musselman, who spent his time in the military working with Navy SEALs. And after his finishing his service, he started the Honor Foundation to help the Special Operations Forces community find top jobs in tech. We initially got connected with him through our buddy Jeff Gum, who was a former Navy SEAL who at the time was graduating from the Honor Foundation and touring some of the top tech companies in Silicon Valley. For those of you that don't know, when Joe started his listening tour, he came up with some very surprising stats. 
So in 2013, only 13% of Navy SEALs had jobs when they finished service, and their average salary when they left the service was around 87000 Now in 2017, graduates that go through the Honor Foundation receive a 97% employment rate with a salary of 130000 to 140000 and up. His organization is amazing. He supported over thousands, thousands of people. He has over 200 employer partners, has raised funding from people all over Silicon Valley, including Mark Andreessen, Lightspeed, Greylock, organizations like that. And his vision is to grow their programs to impact the special operations community, 65,000 by 2020. So we're really excited about the story. And without further ado, welcome, Joe. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So Joe, in the pre-chat, you told us a little bit about you know the passion that you have for this and how it came about. And I think it's a great place for us to start to just get a sense of like how you've been able to accomplish this so quickly and what's driving you to do this work. Well, I think anybody would activate themselves fairly quickly with a community of 3,800 Navy SEALs behind you, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you for professional development, executive education, and one-on-one career transition coaching. You know, if we are to truly live up to the values of the community we serve, we need to act quickly as a small team to massive impact. 100%. I would say that, you know, the the origin and the founding of THF is rooted in quickly moving and breaking things, bringing them back together better than they were before. And like most startups, they start with a question is there just must be a better way. And THF is no different. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe, in the the pre-chat, you also mentioned kind of the founding story and your experience or on how you actually came about with the idea for the Honor Foundation. Can you just take us back and kind of tell us that story? Because I'm sure our listeners would love to hear you started the Honor Foundation. Sure. Yeah. So the, you know, I'm the 16th man in my family to serve in the United States military, dating all the way back to World War II. Everyone from my father to grandfather to uncles and cousins have all served in every branch across the United States military. You know, so... It was a matter of time and when, instead of the question of if, I was always going to join. It was just a matter of when and what branch. I initially landed on the Marine Corps to make my grandfather very proud. He used to lay his uniform up in my closet and on my bed, like, you know, to push me in a <laughs> direction. You know, those Marines, man, once a Marine, always a Marine. <laughs> but it turns out I went to do a study abroad program and I went to countries like it. Iraq and Afghanistan and Yemen, Kuwait, other Middle Eastern countries. And I got to meet a SEAL team that was deployed, and that was it for me. I knew that that was the right culture that I wanted to become a part of inside of the United States military, specifically the Navy and specifically the SEAL teams. So I came home and started to train almost instantly. Uh, it takes about two, it took me about two and a half years to get into a place where I could play, I could rate myself inside of the top 1% our top 5% of all applicants across the country to earn a contract to go to BUDS. So you enter a lottery. Once you have your contract, you can then apply to go to basic underwater demolition school, which is what happened to me. So for the people that don't know, what's BUDS? So BUDS is basic underwater demolition school. And that is the six-month program that that is kind of a selection portion uh, to become a Navy SEAL before you go into SEAL qualification training, which is an additional six to seven months. Got it. Got it. And so 
you were in this program, you were excelling, you're thriving. And, you know, a lot of people followed the typical process of like going through it and then leaving. But, you know, what, where was your pivot? Yeah. So I wish it was a pivot. That would mean that I made that decision consciously. So about two years into trading, I broke my spine in a couple different places. Wow. I had some discs slip out of place, sever some nerves. So as fast as I was in training, I was out that evening. So it happened very quickly, about two years of my military experience. That's and tough. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you put all your apples in one basket. You don't kind of try to be a Navy SEAL. You're all in. Yeah. So, you know, there was no plan B. When I got out of that situation and I got through medical, I had about a year of rehabilitation left. And basically that's when I came across a very interesting character that led to the inspiration for the Honor Foundation. Yeah. I mean, you look good. I mean, after breaking your spine, a lot of people don't bounce back from that. And this individual was also someone that was in, in great shape as well. Tell us a little bit about this person. Yeah, so a lot of the individuals inside of the special operations community are remarkable. And when I mean remarkable, you would almost not believe their background if you saw it on paper. So this particular individual had, you know, two undergraduate degrees. He had a master's degree in global business. He spoke French and Farsi. He could fly fixed wing and rotary aircraft. He was a seven-time Ironman. He parachuted into the world championships at Kona. Just, you know, and then he served at SEAL Team 6 for like 14 years. So wow. this is, you know, six bronze stars, all of combat valor. Just an unbelievable American first and an iconic Navy SEAL. I got to know him very well, and I went to his retirement ceremony. And he was, even for being, you know, a 40-plus-year-old salty sailor, as they would say, he was still talking about innovation. He was talking about diversity in the SEAL teams. He was talking about adopting new technologies to further advance the goals of naval special warfare across the planet. Very innovative guy. And, you know, seeing him up there fully confident and his Navy whites and medals just draping over his breastplate, you know, it just, I was very taken aback by what happened the next day. You know, he came into the office that I was working out of at the time and closed the door behind him. And he said, 26 years in the SEAL teams, what am I going to do now? And he was crying. Wow. So to see that in that moment, like I would hope any American would do, you want to help yeah. and you want support. Yeah. That's what I started to do immediately. You know, one thing that I think that can resonate with the audience is that's kind of unfamiliar to most parts is no one ever really asks, you know, what happens to Olympians after the Olympics? No one ever asks what happens to a Navy SEAL after they've been a Navy SEAL. Yeah. And even this individual was 43, 44 years old. He has a 20-year executive life ahead of him. Yeah. No one ever asks that question. And then when they do ask, these individuals have been underground, not telling people who they are, what they do, who they do what with, and how they do it. And then they get in front of their first interview, an employer, and they ask, what did you do? How did you do it? Who did you do it with? And why did you do it? Where did you so it's a jolting experience to have to be revealing about who they are and what they've done and learn how to do that on the spot. That would be difficult for any person, despite industry and background. These folks have it 10x more difficult. Yeah. And with someone with those accolades, you know, when somebody asks them, what do you do? 
I mean, if it, that was me, I would be like, I don't have to explain myself, bro. Look at, look at my history. But then when you're talking to them and you're saying, hey, yeah, I'm a master chief, they're like, what does master chief mean? And so you, you talk a lot about language. You talk a lot about translating the skills that you developed while you were training and while you were serving into the workforce. And so tell us a little bit about what the Honor Foundation does and its emphasis on language when it comes to workforce development. So language is obviously critical. And the only way to learn a language, just as our brain tells us when we try to actually learn a language, takes practice and repetition. One of the first questions that I ask Navy SEALs and Special Operators, Marine Raiders, you know, Delta Force operators, whatever may have you inside of the makeup of our classroom. I'll find out who's the most senior person in the room, and I'll ask them how many how many rounds have you put down range in your whole career. And it's always the same ballpark. It's always about a million, you know, about wow. a million, million rounds. And then they get to wear the little E that means expert on their uniform because they're an expert shot at mm-hmm. whatever their specialty is. Mm-hmm. But I ask that same person how many times have you sat in front of a civilian. And practice answering questions like, who are you? What do you stand for? What value do you bring to the workforce? Why do you matter? The answer is zero. Zero. So the expectation needs to be set from day one. How do you expect to be an expert at something where you had to put a million rounds down range? And yet you have zero rounds down here. Do it well. well. Welcome to the Honor Foundation. Awesome, awesome. And I I think in the pre-chat, when you mentioned something else that you mentioned that stood out to me was kind of the amount of intelligence that Navy SEALs and other special operation officers have before they go on missions. And when people apply for jobs, whether it's in Silicon Valley or in the traditional corporate world, it's a mission in and itself too. And just like you wouldn't do a mission without intelligence, you can collect a lot of information about the company and other things before you actually step in, in front of your interviewer. So what sort of advice and tactics and strategies do you teach your student during the program for them to succeed? Yeah, so that's a great question. So the Honor Foundation is broken up into you know, three major phases of education. In 2012 and 2013, as I was transitioning out of the Navy and into the creation of THF, I did go on a listening tour and I interviewed 215 special operators in seven states in six months. And then I interviewed 151 Fortune 500 companies over the next six months at the C-suite founder level or SVP level and above. And then I interviewed around 36 nonprofits in my space who apparently were where we're really doing great jobs at transition. And the one thing I can tell you about the SEAL community and the special operations community is only 13% of them had jobs leaving their service. They spent 13 to 15 months underemployed, unemployed, or unhappy in their very first role. They switched jobs three to five times in the first three years, driving their family all over the country. The next thing I learned about companies in the corporate side of the house is only 70% of them were full of shit. They did not have a great veteran program at all. It was downright horrible. And 30% of them were on point. Like they really had a dedicated team focused on recruiting veterans. However, there's one caveat to that, which is 
They have programs dedicated to recruiting veterans, but they recruit all veterans the same. And it was only until I asked the, you know, the CMO of, of a technology couple that starts with T and ends with mobile, you know, do you recruit MBAs the same way that you recruit undergrads? And they said, no, we have two completely different teams uh, dedicated to recruiting those people. I said, well, why would you recruit all veterans the same as a special operator where they have master's degrees and PhDs and for every one day they're deployed, they're in a classroom for four. And he didn't know how to answer that question. So, and then the last part of the nonprofit space is the honor fund. I, I can just say this, the honor foundation has the most comprehensive education curriculum in the country for transitioning veterans period, but we are laser focused on special operators. So to, to walk you through quickly the, the education piece of THF, we recruit 12 to 15 months into their active duty service as no veteran can transition properly in 90 days, what the government gives you. We do a massive pre-selection phase, just like getting an MBA. They've got to write essays. They've got to submit resumes. They've got to come in and do one-on-one interviews. It's very comprehensive up front because we want the right people inside the classroom who are willing to put in the work at the time. And also be very clear about this is not a give a man a fish program. This is a teach a man a fish, how to fish program. I like that. Yeah, it's very true. Every veteran should understand that. Once they've given us bio data, answered essays, letters, recommendation interviews, congratulations, you've been accepted to THF, and they immediately begin a battery of assessments. We give them multiple assessments, some of which we've created in-house with UCSD, one of the top research institutions in the world, and Stanford University, another top research institution in the world. What I noticed in the, in the nonprofit side is how are you supposed to understand your program as having an effect without a baseline as to where the veteran is when they come into your program? So for us, we measure everything from the minute they walk in to the minute they leave, and then a year from when they leave, where they're at, what they're doing. Our three phases are simple. You, your gear, your workup, and then post-graduation is your deployment. Inside of the you phase is where we answer really difficult questions. Simon Sinek has been very helpful in guiding that in that first phase about the deep why discovery. What are we really designed to do? I don't believe that we just chose military service because we like the military. I think we chose to serve in the military because we have a spirit of service inside of us. The military was the outlet. It was the vehicle. But if we serve, we can do any job as long as we feel like we are continuing to serve. That's awesome. And that's what first phase is all about. The second phase, okay, now we're going to get into more of the tools understanding your value proposition, what you bring to the private sector, going through personal and professional pitch sessions, working one-on-one with your executive coach, having networking classes. The second phase, there's a clear shift in thinking from first phase to second phase. And the workup is getting ready to deploy, meaning we are getting you in front of executives. We are teaching you things about managing change. We are teaching you things about how to articulate, you know, where you're coming from, where you've been, where you are now, where you hope to go. And it's all bundled up into 27 classes that they go through over 15 weeks, 150 hours of one-on-one executive coaching and executive style education. Wow. You said Simon Sinek is heavily involved or I like the, that's a great TED talk. Yes. The why one, right? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So the way we met Jeff, who actually introduced 
introduced us to the Honor Foundation was he was actually on one of those tours through the Honor Foundation. And he was, I think was, he was at the Y Combinator school yeah. and we met him there. And it was just amazing to see that he was there networking just like anyone else. And it was a great story. My question to you is that once you came up with this idea and you started to interview with these companies, how receptive were they to hiring or open to the idea of hiring Navy SEALs and other special operation officers? Say that one more time. Um, my question was, how receptive were the tech companies once you approached them hire or to give these tours to Navy SEALs and other operation officers? You know, I would call them energized skeptics. So <laughs> no matter what way you look at it, the reason why I want to connect with the technology you know, space is because this community is, is attracted to big, bold things, big, bold missions. You know, the opportunity to change the world is very appealing to them. But still, as you know, there are tech companies that say they do X and they do Y. And so for us, it's all about finding the right mission and the right organization that values teamwork and small team environments and hard charging. And they never fail at jobs. They fail where, you know, our, our folks never fail at jobs. They fail where extraordinary is not the norm. So we really need to find extraordinary workplaces where mediocrity is not tolerated. I like that. And it's a hard charging environment. So there's a, you know, there's a selection process for our employers as well. You know, we want to know their story. We want to understand their why. How in tune is their leadership? What's their culture like now? Where does it hope to go? What's their leadership like? We have to meet with all those people, understand deeply the role that, you know, that, that our guys can play and that our fellows can play inside that organization. And then once there's an education on both sides, like our fellows are educated on the technology space, is educated on our fellows. Then when everyone meets in the middle, they all know about one another. So Yeah. And what I love about uh, what you just described is a lot of the times when people come from non-traditional backgrounds, they almost, their story, when they tell their story, it doesn't come off as from a position of power, as if they have a lot of value to offer. And what you just said is that when you have these conversations with tech companies, you actually make them realize that, hey, the people that I'm going to be sending you, they're going to be top-notch operatives. And on top of it, like we're not just going to accept anyone for the partner side to partner with us. We want to also vet and make sure that these companies share the vision and the value that you would be comfortable like sending your graduates to. And I think that's a very important point for anyone applying for jobs to make. Over the last few years, can you talk about some of the roles that your graduates have gone into after they graduate from the Honor Foundation? Yeah, absolutely. So what we found is, you know, there's a couple, now we're starting to see frequency and placement. We're starting to see patterns having placed around 150 of our 300 grads at jobs. And those that haven't been placed, are they're still in active duty service. So it's not mm -hmm. like... It's not like they're out there struggling. That's not the case at all. They're just still active duty. But this is what we have seen. Operation roles are, are very strong. Business development roles, they are very strong. When it comes to sales, once they understand what a sales team actually does, their perception moves from used car salesmen to you know, changing the world by disseminating a product that solves a major need on the planet. Yep. So it's all about understanding the way to pitch these things and getting them to understand that your skills directly translate into these types of things as long as the overall umbrella culture of the organization uh, is solid 
they're going to operate very effectively inside of some of those roles. We're, we're also noticing, too, that there's a new role, which is funny to me, inside of Silicon Valley that is clearly adopted from the military and government, which is a chief of staff role for the CEO. Um, and the role is starting to creep in you know, a few organizations, and I just had a request for it from a company that's doing really, really well for a chief of staff role. And again, you know, that's a VC's insurance policy right there. Mm-hmm. I just gave $20 million to a 26-year-old who's never built anything in his life. And I'm going to pair him with a 40-year-old Navy SEAL who's done everything across the planet from <laughs> cross-cultural communication to building teams in different environments to getting different people from all over the planet to somehow communicate and be on the same page. And now he's paired with a 26-year-old to help manage his time. We've even seen our own president hire a former general to be his chief of staff because it takes that type of discipline to focus someone when they're being pulled in every direction, despite your politics, despite how you feel about our POTUS at the moment, no matter the president, you're going to get pulled in a thousand different directions. Yeah. hundred percent. It's no different. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about your guiding principles? I know one of them was like practice artistry and, feedback as a gift and field experience and things like that. Sure. So, you know, I can go through all six. The the one that I really want to focus on is practice artistry. And for me, I grew up as a kid in Chicago in the nineties, watching Michael Jordan, Mm -hmm. you know, reinvent the game of basketball. And that was my first example of artistry where you're watching someone practice his craft, his or her trade, his or her craft. And you are almost looking at it like it's magic. You don't understand how someone can do the things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, you go throughout my life and I have all these different examples from, you know, I played the violin as a child, like watching, watching like Isaac Perlman play in front of me was watching someone practice their craft, Mm -hmm. watching Yo-Yo Ma, watching all different things from professional athletes to musicians, to artists. I grew up with a fascination with Picasso these were people that they took their trade and their craft so seriously that they wanted to do it better than anyone living past, dead, in the future, period. They wanted to be the best at it no matter what. Yeah. And that drive and determination is how I would really describe a significant population inside of the special operations community. It's how they view themselves. They want to practice artistry. So like, you know, if you were to sit in front of any leadership of any startup company in technology period, you say, I'm going to give you someone, let's just start off with the easy stuff. I'm going to give you someone who is going to do what they say they're going to do. Let's just start there. Yep. That is hard to find yep. in life, period. Yep. Secondly, you, you don't ever have to question their ethics, their morals, uh, or, their, or, their mor- or their moral compass. They're going to come in and be very loyal to your organization. They're not going to be gigsters. They're not going to come in and use you as a stepping stone, uh, you know, to move here and then do this and what we see in Silicon Valley all the time. Yep. And I'm not knocking that. What I am is what I'm saying is is there's just when you when you put out for them, they're going to put out for you. Yep, hundred percent. There's a sense of loyalty there that just doesn't exist elsewhere. Yep. It really. Yep. Um, so when I say that our fellows, when I talk about practicing artistry, I mean we try to work towards artistry every day at TH. Yep. Yep, you're student of the game. That's right. I mean, I, I, lo- I love the Perlman example because even though I'm a cellist, I was always, always fascinated with uh, Yasha Heifetz. Yeah. 
benefit from other with him. It's just like the level of discipline that it takes to like even when you're at a great level or the best in the world, just you're always practicing your craft and figuring out how to get better and better and better. So I love that. Joe, so in the pre-chat, one of the things you mentioned is like a hands-on example of how to gather. We talked about get, gathering intelligence earlier on in the interview. You mentioned like a hands-on example of what you tell your students to do when they're finishing up their service. Can you share that specific example around like sending emails? Oh, sure. So and this is a super simple thing and veterans don't, community don't necessarily think to do this right off the bat. You know, the veteran community is great at operating in the unknown and then giving them just a little help with a roadmap early on is proving to be just all they need really to be pushed in the right direction. And so the example that I use often is, you know, let's say Arthur is transitioning from the Navy SEAL community and he wants to connect with someone inside of Facebook. There's all types of ways to do that. There's all types of vehicles that you can use from LinkedIn to Glassdoor. You can find all types of people to connect with. And you just need to reach out with a very simple email saying, hello, you know, Joe Smith at Facebook. My name is Arthur. I'm a transitioning Navy SEAL or I'm a transitioning U.S. veteran from this community. I find what you do fascinating. I'd love to learn more about you, your role, and your organization. Would you be willing to have a cup of coffee so I can learn more as I transition from this community. Thank you so much. You know, all my best, Arthur. That email, if you really mean the words that you say and you send that out to the right people, I would say you have a 90 to 95% chance of getting a response from that person. Because why, why wouldn't you? And by the way, what do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose. Yeah. And just to break down the exact words in your email, we have a lot of people who come to us from these non-traditional backgrounds and they're breaking into tech. And I think a lot of people who end up writing emails, they go straight for the kill and they ask for a job instead of asking for advice. So I love the fact that you brought up the point is that when you're hitting up people at Facebook and all these companies, your first request is not to get a job there. You're just gathering your intelligence. And when you go for that coffee meeting, even then, your job is to just make a good impression on them, tell your story, explain the value that you can add to their organization and make them realize and make them offer you to like introduce you to someone on their team. And I've, I've seen a lot of people make this mistake of always like being very, making the email sound very transactional and even in coffee meetings, making that experience very transactional. I think all you have to do, whether you're a veteran or you're someone from untraditional background breaking in is just be a genuine person and just ask for advice. And most likely they'll give you a job. So you've seen uh, hundreds of people, if not thousands, transition from active service to civilian life. What are some of the mistakes that people make when they first leave the service? Yeah. So I want to just, I don't want to forget to mention this and you brought it up and this is very important. Veterans are nervous when they go into that first interaction with a civilian person and that's okay. And the, the main question that I get is, well, what do I talk about? What do I ask them about? Like, what are those questions? The best thing to do in that situation is to ask them about them. You don't have to talk about yourself at all. Tell me about your role at Facebook. What's it like? 
What's your leadership like? How do the teams communicate? What time do you go in? What's the suck factor? Like, how long are you there? Like, you know, you read online about all this stuff and about the great environment and the campus is beautiful, but what's it really like? Does it kind of suck? Is it awesome? Like, give me an insider's take on what it's like. You don't need to talk about yourself at all. And as a matter of fact, I would recommend not talking about yourself at all. If they ask you questions about yourself, then you can answer it. But learn about them first. So if there's one tactic, you okay, email, right? Like dog chasing a car. Well, oh my God, great, the email worked. The guy wrote, you know, he or she wrote me back. Now what? Great, go get that cup of coffee. Now what? Great, I'm sitting there. Ask them about them. And then repeat those rounds downrange over and over and over again. And you will be amazed at how your life has changed. After 50 cups of coffee, your life will be, but you'll have a totally different perspective on, on your career transition after just those conversations. Absolutely. It's kind of like Warren Buffett. He puts that challenge out often, you know, read 500 books a year. I dare you. Like, and then he says, you won't, you won't do it. You know, you won't do it. He reads 500 books a day <laughs> all the time. Like you just need to read and you need to be a constant, you need to be constantly consuming information. I would challenge veterans. We, we force our fellows. It's a mandatory part of graduation to have 50 cups of coffee in 15 weeks. They have to do it. That's intense. Yeah. Yeah. They have to do it. And their lives are different every time. Graduation. Oh my God. Cups of coffee changed my life. It's not <laughs> investment, man. Like go spend a dollar 20 and meet with 50 people in, you know, an X amount of time and create a chart and a plan for yourself. Your life will change. I don't care who you are, veteran, not veteran. Yeah. Yeah. And we also, one of the things we mentioned is that by grabbing that cup of coffee, just to deconstruct, what actually happens is you're building up an advocate who is inside this company now, who met you, who knows about you, who now can go back to the company and kind of tell your story to their coworkers. And that makes your interview process or it makes your break-in story way easier than just applying online. Because when you apply online, you're just a name on a piece of paper. When you grab a coffee with someone, they already know your story. They're almost selling you to their coworkers. And then when you come to see their coworkers, they already know who you are and they're excited to see you. So yeah. I love the fact that and you guys... I uh, want to add to that. I think especially for people that are transitioning from a non-traditional background, since you've never been inside a startup, you may have not met people who work at startups. It's, it's that much more crucial that you start grabbing coffee with them because then you'll realize that they're just people like your friends, like every one of us. And then I think subconsciously, you'll actually develop a belief that you're one of them. And until you start meeting with people and connecting with them and seeing that, identifying with their struggles and seeing that they're just like everyone else, I think that was a big game changer for me when I was breaking in because then I realized that, hey, it's definitely within my reach. Like these folks were in my shoes a few years ago and I could do that too. And once you have that confidence, then all of your conversations will be going, coming from a position of power versus kind of the other way around. What are some things about the Honor Foundation that people don't know about that they should know about? It's a great question. We serve all United States special operators. So that's one thing. We do not just serve Navy SEALs. Yep. We have served every single special operator coming from every branch of the military. Awesome. We also have our average age is 37 years old. So we have both young operators and more senior leaders from that community coming through our program at one time because we found that they both help each other in that respect. The younger operators are talking about things from 
from a very different generation that the and the more senior leadership are talking about things, the younger leaders can also learn from. So that's, you know, uh, we have a very diverse classroom. We get asked all the time, you know, is it just a male community? The answer is to be a actually to be a special operator, to be a Navy SEAL, a critical skill operator. Yes. As of right now, there are only males. The SEAL community has opened up their pipeline to two females. We just have not had one make it to the team yet. However, there's a gigantic enabling force that enables the operators to do their job from Intel specialists, to translators, to dog handlers, to parachute riggers, you name it, who are females. And we've had three females come through our program who are extraordinary, extraordinary, spoke multiple languages, have been around the world, have deployed into combat situations with SEAL teams. So yes, there are females that come through our program. Awesome. So those are three things that I think most people don't know about. If you don't know, now you know. I know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we're oh, somebody. That's all I gotta say. Exactly, and uh, we're big believers in teams, and it's teams that build companies, not individuals. And yep. tell us a bit more about your team and who are the people that you work with yeah. on a daily basis that make found, the Honor Foundation possible. Yeah, so who's on the Honor Foundation team? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were paying kudos to my team. Yeah, um, no, I am. I, I've been communicating with a few of them, and they're extremely responsive and. They get back to me on Sunday at like 11 p.m., like when I'm emailing them late at night. So I just I wanted to give you shout like, outs. Yeah, can them. you give a few shout outs of who's on your team and what sure. they do? So at THF, we have four teams. We operate inside of small teams. Mm-hmm. So we have an operations team, a programs team, an impact team, and a people team. People are our careers focused folks. Like our director of people is career focused. Our impact team is all about raising funds and awareness about THF and the operations team. Obviously, all the admin that goes into running a nonprofit is significant. There's a lot of idiosyncratic things that take place inside this space. And then obviously, we have our programs team, which is our directors there are designed to design their position and their role to, to create an experience that derives the aha moments out of our guys, that brings them to the point of like, oh, man, I did not think of that. We need to create an environment and an experience that allows them to grow, think together. And that's a, a huge role inside THF, our, our, director of, our director of programs. We have a former master chief, a guy named Joe Lara, complete out-of-the-box thinker. We have a, you know, a, a former senior chief from the EOD community who is a development group of Team 6 for a long time, running our programs out on the, in the Virginia Beach campus. We've pulled in former political activists and fundraisers to support me on the impact side. We have Gary Ann McGovern running our operations tightly here at THF. We have a former supply corps officer, 06 captain retired, who you know basically ran executive education at the Darden School for many years, who's our chief operating officer at the moment, slash chief of curriculum. You know, our roles are multi kind of facets. We are no different than a startup. I don't understand how nonprofits think that they are a different subset of business from the actual, like from businesses. And I, I personally get very frustrated when we get treated like second-class business citizens because we are a nonprofit. I have revenue. I have sales. I have recruitment. I have marketing. I have advertising. I have a C-suite. I have operators inside my organization. No different. I have a P&L. I've got a, I've got a set of financials that I have to budget. I have a budget every year. I mean, there's no difference. Yeah. Only difference is, is we do not have we do not have shareholders. That's it. Yep. 
we have stakeholders in our mission, but that's the only difference is we do not have shareholders. No one can own our business, which for me, I feel can be a great thing at times, but I have a board to report to. There's just no difference. Uh, Team at THF, there's 10 of us operating essentially a campus here in San Diego, campus in Virginia Beach. We're opening a third campus outside of Lejeune. We're opening a virtual campus so that these operators can come through our program from anywhere in the world. Sounds like you're scaling like a startup too. <laughs> no, no different. 10X, I see you, bro. <laughs> nice work. So what can we expect from Honor Foundation over the next few years? God, I just had like a flash of my business plan. <laughs> so... You can expect a lot. I mean, you can expect slow, calculated growth. You can expect us never to lose the high touch, high value of our program as we scale. You can expect some really exciting board announcements next year that are going to bring us pro in a big way. Some very prominent figures from the Valley will be stepping up to support us in a big way in 2018. Some board announcements on the way. We're also vetting uh, the concept of a, an endowment the Honor Foundation, which would be no different raising a fund, you know, for a venture capital firm, except we're only investing in one company and that's us. And it'll bring sustainability to the organization for a hundred years. And that's all I care about. You know, obviously new hires and, and stuff like that, but those are the kind of big picture things. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for your hard work, Joe. So we're going to transition to the next phase in our podcast. And that's the lightning round. And this is where Arthur, Ruben, and I will get to ask you a few questions, but we're looking for strategies, actionable steps, any resources that you recommend for people who are breaking into tech or for people just to succeed in life. So with that said, Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So this question takes it back to the basics. So imagine you just moved to a new city, you don't know anyone, and you're starting from the beginning again, and you only have $100. So what would you do and how would you spend that $100 to get back on your feet and start applying for jobs? I would find 50 people inside of organizations that I find inspiring and I find the work that they're doing inspiring and I would take every single one of them out for a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. There, there it is. Love it. There it is. Love it. So we talk a lot about routines on the podcast and we know that discipline is something that the special forces community is known for. So what routines do you follow? that make you successful at what to do today? I don't know if my routine will work for everyone, but I know, <laughs> you know, I am, you know, diagnosed and exceptionally ADHD. So I, like growing up, my parents only pitched that to me as an extra ability and not a disability. I like so that. I just need to keep my day filled and I have, to, I have to unfortunately live and die by a schedule and a calendar. I start every day. I get up at 4.30 exact same cup of coffee, protein, everything, letting the dogs out, reading, you know, doing some, all my kind of, you know, my, my quote is always, it's on my calendar every morning. If you win the morning, you win the day. So like having a morning routine is so important. And then I'm in a CrossFit workout by 6 a.m. with okay. Shout out CrossFit. I do this CrossFit, so. <laughs> yeah, same four to six people pretty much every morning. And then, I, you know, then the, the day begins for me about eight o'clock after that time to transition and just get ready for the day. I do a lot of headspace, a lot of calm apps in the morning. Mm-hmm. So day as calm as you possibly. I would recommend this for a veteran who's been accustomed to a certain habit, you know, habits, you know, going into just an unframework is no bueno. Man. Mm-hmm. So 
you need to work hard at, at developing a new scout, a new calendar and a new habit. And my day is, is blocked. You know, every day has a different theme. I break my week up and every day has a different theme. It's an admin theme. It's, it's a people theme. It's a team theme. It's a fellow theme. I have to reach out to a fellow and have a conversation with them about where they're at in life. And, you know, my days are, my week's Monday through Saturday. And then Saturday, you know, in the afternoon is, is when I get to connect. You know, I spend a lot of time with my wife on Saturday and Sunday. We, we go to church and the day's ours to get ready for the week again. So, you know, having a routine, you know, they always say success leaves clues. Like find me someone with a B next to their name that doesn't have a routine. I yeah. dare you. Yeah. I just dare you. If you found someone, he's a liar or he doesn't have a B next to his name. I mean, he <laughs> next to your name, but like, I feel like, you know, people invent pet rocks and become multimillionaires. Okay. Like, you know, <laughs> like that takes very calculated movements over a very long period of time and being consistent with what you do. Uh-huh. And so like I roll my eyes at myself because I'm still looking to perfect my routine yeah. and it'll be perfect. It's a journey and you, you know, everybody's got their cheap moments in life, but man, I'll tell you the people with routines, it turns out they happen to be really successful in life. And, yeah. a lot of lives. and that emphasis on consistency as well, because you can have a routine, but if you don't follow it in a disciplined way, it's not going to work either. Yeah. You know, the old motivation will get you going, but habit will get you there. Oh, there it is. I like that. Love it. <laughs> Love it. So my next question, it's around helping veterans who are not part of the special operatives community. So if they're listening to the podcast right now, what are other organizations, other resources that they should check out in order for them to also break into tech? Sure. So first off, if you're a veteran and you consider yourself a high performing veteran, there are a lot of resources to break into technology companies. The first resource that you need to rely on because it's super reliable It'll work every time you activate, and that's yourself. You can't do anything until you yourself actually want to do it. Don't convince yourself that, oh, there's all these different handouts out there for veterans. You know, I'm getting a little frustrated with the nonprofit space that says, oh, you're kind of broke and we're here to fix you. Like, first off, consider yourself a high performing veteran and get ready to fix yourself. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Second thing, there, there is there's a multitude of, of individuals who have a veteran back, who have a military background inside of technology companies. And I would say that I would talk to as many of those people first before you go through some sort of program. Have conversations. The United States military is the largest fraternity and sorority in the world. So reach out to your teammates. They're waiting to support. That's a good one. Then after you... Fix yourself and believe in yourself and consider yourself a high performer. You're already top 1% in the United States population by raising your hand and joining a volunteer force. So you're high performing. Number two, reach out to veterans. You have to talk to your teammates. And then three, then decide on a program on what is best for you. And if you were going to do that, there's a great program, Breakline, run by Bethany Coates. I think she does a great job aligning you know veterans to potential employment inside of technology companies. There's shift.org by Mike Slay, who's uh, Mike. Yeah, Mike's an inspiring person. I love Mike. He's inspiring the inspired, and, and that's uh, a lot of to Mike. Uh, there's getting to organizations like VetCon, uh, the Veteran Conference is helping Valley. 
you know, and then there's also, you know, there's the Stanford Ignite program for post 9-11 veterans that is highly competitive, but worth your time if that's a good fit for you. And there's also like, don't forget about Hired.com. I mean, Hired.com is blowing up. They're a great institution. I work with them very closely. Their CEO is on point. You know, they're building a real scalable business into technology companies and they're moving part of their business to to focus more on operational roles, just the engineering role anymore. So, you know, there's, and last but not least, there's an amazing technology. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's called (laughs) Google.com. Google.com has all of the resources a veteran could possibly want under, from video tutorials to understanding technology in Silicon Valley to getting your mind wrapped around what the culture is really like inside some of these tech companies. So all I have to say is, look, veterans, don't count on anyone Going beyond the thank you for your service. Don't count on that. There's never a secondary action after. Thank you for your service. That's great. Thank you so much. But what's after that? Just thank me for my service, man. I need a job. I got to feed my family and pay a mortgage and I have kids. And, you know, let me help you understand my experience. And you're coming at Some folks in the veteran community think they're coming at a, you know, ahead of the game when they're actually coming at a deficit. They're going to have to fight against folks for those roles and those jobs because their past is not as well understood as yeah. those coming out of an Ivy League education or, or a traditional background. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Who are some of your mentors or books that you that you read that, that have taught you the game? Yeah, so I have, you know, I have so many mentors. Hell, I always say that THF has about 100 co-founders. Yeah. <laughs> You cannot do anything by yourself. I don't care who you are. You know, starting a business is about starting an ecosystem in support of your vision and your mission and your goals. So, you know, I have many mentors. I have, uh, you know, a couple significant ones. Hal Kirkendall, who is a Vietnam era Navy SEAL, who's my board chair. He's been a significant influence on my life. Yeah. Uh, Evan Compton, partner emeritus at Clutter Perkins. Now, you know, one of the founders of Radar Partners. He's very much under the radar. But Kevin has influenced my life for life. You know, I hope to be a sliver of both Hal and a sliver of Hal, of Kevin moving forward in my life. And then, of course, like, I have, you know, hundreds of leaders coming through my classroom every single year. Like, I only hope to learn a fraction of what they have been taught by life experience. All of the Navy SEALs and special operators every day are mentors to me. You know, and of course, you, know, you come across people that, you know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you need to be in the people business and you have to learn, uh, you know, to be a constant learner. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you can learn from people dead, alive. And, and then I envision the people that I hope to meet in the future all the time. Yeah. Uh, very active in your mind and in your brain about the type of people you want to attract into your life, pray for into your life and attract into your life. It's a daily exercise that you need to have. That saying that you're the average of the five people that you are around the most, that is true. Yeah. You need to surround yourself with people that are going to challenge you and do assessments of your network fairly consistently. Make sure that you're on point. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. Last question. Before, or like, let's go. I think Timo might have one yeah. more. But like, are there any podcasts or books that you listen to? So on the podcast side, you know, I do enjoy listening to Tim Ferriss. I think he's funny. Yep. I do enjoy listening to 
Reed Hoffman's podcast. Yep, Masters of Skill. Uh, I do uh, enjoy listening. Greylock is putting out some great stuff lately. You know, I have philosophy podcasts, and I listen to a lot of fiction, sci-fi, very future stuff. You know, to me, that's very inspiring because, you know, tell me something inside of Star Trek and or tell me something inside of a Star Wars that we do not see right now yeah. around us. Yep. So I, I do, I actually do exercises with some writers of science fiction fairly frequently and ask them questions about what if this happened and what would the world look like if it did? Yeah. Uh, their minds just live somewhere else. Yeah. So I, I think podcasts are good to be like philosophize this. I listen to that a lot. Yep. You know, there's a lot. Your time is precious. And if I'm not learning something, then I really do feel like I'm missing out. Yeah. I never thought about the Star Trek and the sci-fi thing. I, I like that a lot because I remember when we went to Pixar and they gave us like a tour of the studio. They were like, this, the way they opened it up was like, this is the location where we plan out movies 10 years in advance. And like they write the story and they help people storyboard that type of stuff. And like, it's interesting because you talk about five-year plans and three-year plans and then like bringing them into fruition like today yeah. is interesting. So. And it also helps you see where the puck is going yeah. versus that where it is now. Because if you can plan for the next 20, 30 years, then you're way ahead of the curve. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So our last question, Joe, is it's around what is the best way for people listening to get in touch with you? So that's easy. You know, my email is everywhere. And it's super simple to remember. It's joe at honor.org. And if you would like to learn more about our mission, please visit our website at honor.org and join a tribe, you know, become a coach, become a mentor. If you're an employer looking to hire talent, they are a source of top talent and leadership. So, you know, there's all types of deficits of leadership in Silicon Valley right now. We're seeing it across the board. These folks have been through a leadership experience that can't be duplicated anywhere else in the world. I would advise everyone to try to connect with us and learn more about our mission and the folks that are coming through our program. Awesome. So anybody listening that's a veteran or anybody in our community that knows a veteran that's trying to transition, make sure you get in touch with Joe on our foundation, check out his team. Yeah. And, and also just plug, join the Breaking to Sarps community because yeah. we have a lot of on Facebook because we have a lot of veterans who already broke in yep. and it's one of the best ways for you to already find veterans who are in tech yep. who kind of know what it took for them to break into tag yep. without a doubt, grab a coffee with you and connect. Yeah. I mean, like he said, it's the biggest frat sorority in the world. And part of the reason why people even go to business schools is because of the network and you have that network for life. And if you reach out to that person, they'll be like, Oh yeah, you're a veteran too. Yeah. I'm totally down to help you. I've been there before. So I love that you brought that advice up. So without further ado, let's break in. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Joe. <laughs> Thanks Joe. Let's break in. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.